welcome to the Let It Matter podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Wolf. Here at Let It Matter, we seek to make space for and honor what matters to us as individuals, as communities, and as beloved children of God. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5 to cast our cares on God because God cares for us. That tells me that God cares about what we care about. In their song of the same title, the group Johnny Swim offers this invitation. If it matters, let it matter. So that's what we're going to do. I invite you to join me for the next 30 to 45 minutes as we make space for, honor, celebrate, or lament, and as we name, what matters. Okay, hello and welcome. I am so thankful you are joining me for this episode. Today on the Let It Matter podcast, I am joined by author and returning Let It Matter podcast guest, Amanda Held Opelt. Really quick, before we dive in, if this podcast has been a blessing or a resource in your life, would you consider taking just a moment to pause this episode before we dive in and do as many of these things as possible? First, make sure you are subscribed to or following the show wherever you stream your podcasts from. Um, and if you're listening in Apple, if you would please, please leave a rating or a review. That helps so much with all the algorithm st- stuff. Um Make sure you're also following the show on Instagram every week whenever a new um, episode goes live. The post, uh, we post about it. We also post quotes from the episode throughout the week. Um, That's at Let It Matter Podcast on Instagram and threads and on Twitter at Let It Matter Pod. All of these things are just vital for the growth and goodness and guests even of this podcast. And so um, I just would so appreciate it now. Let me, for those of you who don't know Amanda, let me introduce you to her and we will get right into it. Amanda Held Opelt is a speaker, songwriter, and author of the book, A Hole in the World, Finding Hope in Rituals of Grief and Healing, and the new release as of last week, Holy Unhappiness, God, Goodness, and the Myth of the Blessed Life. She believes in the power of faith, community, ritual, worship, and shared stories to heal even our deepest wounds. Amanda has spent the last 15 years serving in the nonprofit and humanitarian aid sector. She lives in the mountains of Boone, North Carolina with her husband and two young daughters. Amanda, thank you so much for joining me again on the Let It Matter podcast as a one of my very first returning guests. I am so excited to be here. I was actually just like looking forward to this conversation all day because I feel like you and I kind of understand each other and just always fun to talk to you. Yeah. I agree. And I love, um, you know, that you alluded to this project in the first time that we spoke um, for for those who may not remember or who are new to the podcast since then. Amanda, um, I believe was in episode five of the podcast. Um, and we talked all about grief and um, the loss of our sisters and stuff. And one of the things you, you told was this project that you had sort of had uh, in mind and had spoken with Rachel about and, um, and then ended up having to put on the back yeah. burner with all of your grief and processing those sorts of things. And so when I got the, um, 
the email with that you had a cover and a release date and stuff. I was just so excited for you. Yeah. Uh, and then when I got to read it just now, I just, I mean, just recently, um, I'm just so thrilled that this like, uh, in a, in a, in a way is like a second first book because it's a, a, a departure from the one you needed to yeah. write right yeah. then, you know, yeah. <laughs> so the one you wanted to. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. Cause that really is what this journey has felt like. Cause this is actually a book I've been mm. working on for about six years. It's a book that Rachel and I mm. kind of were working on together. And, um, you know, so it's, it's kind of been in me for a long time, but mm-hmm. it just felt, um, it was just not the right time. Um, when it, you know, and, and the book, a hole in the world was something that just felt like it was needed for that moment for both myself and, and mm-hmm. in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis and this With collective COVID, yeah. grief we were facing. And I'm, I'm actually so glad I didn't write this book I'm releasing now, Holy Unhappiness, I'm glad I didn't write it four years ago because I've learned so much yeah. in the last four years that has, you know, the book would have been totally different. And so, you know, the old trope, it's God's timing. I get a little, I get a little it icky is. about some of those, like <laughs> some of those little <laughs> sentiments yeah. that we throw out there, but there, it, there did really feel like there was a providential um, timing yeah. to the release of these. And um, so, Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And, um, and so I want to just, if we can just sort of dive in, um, to some of the themes in your book, it, this is sort of underlying thesis, although <laughs> you say in the introduction, I don't have a thesis for this book. <laughs> there, it's um, a sneaky one. It's, it's it hidden. Is, it's buried in there. It's a, <laughs> it is, um, this notion that happiness in our lives, it sort of challenges the notion that happiness is achievable if and guaranteed mm-hmm. through a series of just if this then that yeah um that things like sadness or difficulty lack of fulfillment or weariness as evidence of our failure yeah. or of a lack of god's right. favor it also confronts what you call the emotional prosperity mm-hmm. gospel um often found in american christianity and i'd love if you could start by sort of talking a little more about what you mean by the emotional prosperity gospel and how we see that manifesting in our lives and faith. Yeah. Well, I I don't know about you, Kelly, but like most of the Christians I interact with on a daily basis, um, they don't really embrace the traditional prosperity gospel, which is, you know, this notion Mm. that if you, you know, have enough faith that God's going to make you healthy and wealthy, that God, God hates, God doesn't want you to suffer. God wants you, doesn't want you to be sick. He doesn't want you to be poor. And so, if you can just be confident enough in his goodness and speak a confident word of faith over your life that you will then be given this prosperity, um, financial, you'll be given uh, good health, God will heal you, all those things. Most Christians I know mm-hmm. say, no, that's actually, um, that that's false teaching. That's a pariah yeah. among Christendom because it, it, it teaches people yeah. the wrong way to think about God and think about their circumstances. But yeah. And that's not to say it does doesn't exist with oh, Christianity. Just I think what you're saying is like if the people you regularly exact, interact with, you're yeah. sort of corners of the world and the internet. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. But no, it it has a it has a huge foothold in American culture. Mm-hmm. The pro, the traditional prosperity 
prosperity gospel. And it's because it has the same roots as the self-help movement. You know, it kind of began with the new thought um, mm-hmm. ideology that emerged in the late 1800s, which was this kind of power of positive thinking. If you just are optimistic enough, you can kind of manifest positive outcomes for your life. Mm-hmm. And that kind of merged with Pentecostalism. And it's it swept the globe. I mean, there it has deep roots yeah. in, in, in countries all over the world. And many of our best-selling authors and most watched TV ministers are of the traditional prosperity gospel bent. Okay, so you're absolutely right. But I'm talking, you know, this little corner of American evangelicalism mm-hmm. that I grew up in and that probably most of my readers grew mm-hmm. up in, it's like, no, that's bad. We don't do that. We don't we don't believe that. Yeah. Um, but but the thing is we do. <laughs> The thing is, we do believe it a little bit, but we just it, we kind of take a little bit more of a spiritual approach, and 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 I I guess I just mm-hmm. watched it in myself, and I I I noticed this messaging all growing up, this idea that like mm-hmm. if you make the right choices and you believe the right things, then you will feel the right way. God might not grant you wealth and health, but He will grant you um, peace and joy and purpose and meaning and fulfillment. This book actually began as a book primarily about work and vocation and calling because I kind of have Mm -hmm. had these great jobs and great ministry positions my whole life, but was struggling and and unhappy and unfulfilled sometimes. And then I thought, my Mm -hmm. goodness, the formula is not the formula is not working out because I, I thought that if I found my calling and I was serving the Lord, that I would feel excitement and fulfillment and meaning in my work. And I just don't. Like, work still feels hard and like a drudgery and it's boring sometimes. That's when I first started kind of pulling at this thread. Like, what are these hidden promises we're told we're going to have if if we do these things? That's interesting that you say that. And I'm thankful because I, I know a lot of people um, – well, I say a lot. I, I can think of like four off the top of my head um, that I interact with regularly. Myself being uh, being one of them, that I have sensed for a decade at least uh, a call, a vocational call mm-hmm. to ministry of some kind, and it has taken the shape of either lay ministry mm-hmm. in my church mm-hmm. or public sort of ministry online because of my student loans and because I don't have it. I don't even have my undergrad degree, yeah. and so seminary is. Just, I mean, feels like. It, what $150,000 oh, away. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? And, um, and, and I, I live alone and I'm not a dual income. So I would have to be doing that while mm-hmm. still working mm-hmm. full time, you know, all these things. And so, um, I have, I have felt for a while if I just had that mm-hmm. piece, mm-hmm. you know what yep. I mean? And, and there's, a, I know a lot of people who have, who even have the seminary, but they didn't get ordained. Mm-hmm in their tradition that they want or they were ordained and it was stripped from them when their beliefs changed right, right, or right, something. Right. And so that kind of idea of like maybe this unhappiness is from either a lack of fulfillment in in my lack of having uh-huh. the thing or like in your case, like you said, even in having yeah, the thing. Yeah, right. It's, it's just it's like possible. this promise that if you if you can just attain this, if you can just find the perfect job, if you can just marry a good Christian spouse and have lots of cute, obedient kids and get plugged into a good church, like you just got to get plugged in. Mm. You just got to do life with people. You know what I mean? It's like then Stop it. <laughs> all the all the good feelings will follow, right? You won't feel lonely and mm-hmm. you'll feel you'll 
you'll be, you know, um, you'll be sanctified and you'll, and it, well, Mm -hmm. we'll get into this, but it gets even deeper into things like, hey, if you just have a sound theology of suffering, when you experience loss and grief, um, that good theology will buoy you up out of the negative feelings and you'll have a peace that passes understanding and you'll see this redemptive story arc and you'll find the silver linings and God will be with you. And I think it was my experience with grief that really solidified this worldview that I I realized I had like eaten for breakfast every morning of like, if if I just believe the right things, I'll feel the right way. And turns out grief was awful. Grief was terrible, despite my rigorously constructed theology of suffering. And so, I I think that's when I realized, okay, what... is it okay to feel bad? Is it okay to have difficult mm-hmm. feelings? Is it an indication that I've failed? Is it an indication that God's failed? What's going on here? And so that's what yeah. really led me to kind of start asking some questions and digging deeper into this topic. And it can be so insidious, you know, we could somebody could hear this and reject it on paper, yeah. reject oh, the yeah. notion of it like in black and mm-hmm. white. Um, but then there's ways that you sort of just start to it sort of starts to come up. I noticed it a lot during COVID mm-hmm. um, that, uh, and and mine was in, in the sense that like, um, I guess, I, I guess just this, uh, I don't even know how to, how to say it. Just this sense of like, God, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Where are you? Yeah. And, and is it okay to feel like you are, aloof yeah like you're not even paying attention your entire the entire world i'd never experienced anything that was such a collective yeah yeah suffering mm-hmm. people in every country and all over the world mm-hmm. were experiencing the same sort of sorts of things yeah, yeah. right um, that i was and i was just like you know it felt like a I, it it sent me into a tailspin in my faith because i felt like you know have I been getting this wrong, my, my theology of suffering? Have I been getting this wrong, my theology of God, mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. whole time? Right. And when, yeah. and that's when you start seeing these little quips and taglines like faith over fear, faith over fear, which is odd because a lot of the people saying <laughs> that were just like, you, you're you afraid too. You're just fearful of different things. <laughs> but, but it, it you know, yeah. it's like these kind of um, these sentiments that we're supposed to somehow just not feel hard things, not feel negative things. And, mm-hmm. but then, you know, you, I read my Bible during COVID and it's like, I see actually a lot of fear and anxiety and anger and doubt and disbelief in the Bible. And there's tons of space that's made for it. And sometimes it's actually a prophetic work. Sometimes allowing mm. ourselves to kind of merit, like it, it might be okay for us to be collectively afraid uh, from time to time, because there might be something to learn from that fear. There might be, that fear might be telling us something about ourselves, about yeah. God, about the world. Um, and, and that's kind of the, I think to me that that was maybe the, the hardest needle to thread with the book is that mm. uh, I'm not saying all of our hard feelings are, are, are well-founded. There are some difficult feelings that arise as a result of false beliefs and false expectations. Yeah. And there are some negative feelings that arise just because we are living in the aftermath of the fall in a broken world with broken people. But the point is those difficult feelings, whether they are 
legitimate or illegitimate if we don't make space for mm-hmm. them we're not gonna we're not gonna learn anything if we if we shove them down if we dismiss them if we pretend like they're not there and not real we're gonna we're not gonna learn the lesson that sometimes these feelings have to teach us that's it and I think also that you know I spend a lot of time on this podcast. I know there's a lot of people doing the same work, sort of offering a corrective to the evangelical narrative mm-hmm. that our emotions are entirely yeah. untrustworthy. Yes. And so, um, but that, like you said, is a, it's a tough needle to thread because sometimes uh, while the emotion is not, uh, doesn't have a mm-hmm. value assigned to it, good or bad. Um, the sometimes it is, like you said, um, based on a false, narrative yeah. and a, or a false understanding or, or a lack of context, mm-hmm. lack of information. Um, and so, but it doesn't mean it, like you said, it doesn't mean that, that it has anything that, that um, we can't learn from. Yeah. Okay. What did that yeah. come up from? Yeah. Why do I feel this way? Yeah. Uh, and so I wanted to just make that point because in case people are listening, I don't want you to think that we're making sweeping statements for mm-hmm. one side or the yeah. other, that there's nothing good or about, about our emotions or that our emotions are entirely based in evidential mm-hmm, fact mm-hmm. and um, can be taken, you know, as, as, um, you know, as God. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's part of the reason I use the word holiness, because if you look kind of mm-hmm. at the original meaning in scripture of that word, holy, it means set apart for a purpose. And there's, there's a, mm-hmm. there's mission associated with the word holiness. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's kind of what I've, I've tried to, to say is like, there's, there's nothing. If we see and realize that there can be a purpose to what we're feeling, sometimes shame is good. Like shame's gotten a bad rap lately mm-hmm. in our culture, and and for for the right reasons. Not throwing shade on Brene Brown, mm-hmm. lover, got one of her books right here. Sure, but but there sure. is a holy kind of shame that can say that mm-hmm. what I did to that person was wrong, and I'm feeling that, and I need to marinate in that for a little bit. I need to I need to mm-hmm. sit with that feeling, like a conviction type or a remorse or guilt yes um, it's it's more about conviction that ha- it has a twinge of a sweetness though, yes of like because there's i know there's a next step there's something to move into either at, you know the best apologies are changed behavior so to the next person or to in that arrangement mm-hmm. um you're exactly you're exactly right about that one of the um i loved that I lo- the book is broken down into three sections each one sort of contains three areas or facts of life. Um, and then, uh, so there's that, the three, and then there's a, a sort of, uh, a redemptive, um, way of finding quote happiness, mm-hmm. um, in those things. And you offer that for each section. If we can, let's just sort of go section by yeah. section, maybe, mm-hmm. um, so I'd love if you could summarize the theme sort of underlying why you, why you chose those three yeah. per, to be in a section yeah. together um, and what they are. And then why the blessing for that section applies broadly to each. Yeah. Well, the first section I include kind of the way that the emotional prosperity gospel has infiltrated three things, work, marriage, and children. And that, I, I in, included that because it's, I wrote these chapters not just for married people and not just for people mm-hmm. who have 
children. It's it's messages that mm-hmm. we receive about marriage, messages that we receive about parenting, um, and how I think it can be harmful to singles and married people and people with kids and people without kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think the reason I wanted to start with these three um, is because these were actually the three areas that were spoken directly to in in the curse of Genesis 3, that is, you know, the, mm-hmm. the ground of your labor will be cursed. Um, there will be great mm-hmm. pain in childbearing and a major shout out and thanks to uh, Professor John Walton, who pointed out that 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 you know Hebrew word for pain and childbearing is not just um, the the pain of physical labor. It's actually meant to describe. It's a word that means both mental and emotional anguish. And childbearing is also a word mm. that should mean more about uh, conception and procreation in general. So it's not just to me that mm. was revolutionary. It's like this is this whole yeah. idea of of reproduction is going to be hard, and it's going to be complicated no Mm. matter where you sit in it um and then and then it's this enmity that exists between woman and man or just between human relationships like um that you know Mm -hmm. your desire will be for them but they will rule over you i mean to me we can litigate the exact meaning of that phrase but it's this idea that like we want people people want power over us we want to be loved people want Mm -hmm. to control and so those relationships particularly i think the married covenant relationship can can be fraught so i kind of i wanted to start with these three things because they're so foundational to kind of how we construct what we think about the good life or our future or kind of these seem to be kind of at the root of some of our deepest anxieties. Can I just as, add as a side note, side note, I've been reading a lot about Genesis 1 through mm. 3 lately um, for a project I'm working mm-hmm. on. Um, and I, somebody, I can't remember who it is. I'll try to cite them in the, in the um, show notes, mentioned that, uh, that that specific curse the, uh, or that specific was it really it, the ground was cursed and the serpent mm-hmm. was cursed, but that was, uh, it was just sort of a, a this is going to be the case from now mm-hmm. on, but because that it was God saying, this is the introduction of hierarchy. Yep. Not that it was God's idea, but that whenever God shows up and says, who did this, there's already hierarchy That's happening right. in the blame. Yeah. There's already, well, you did this, you did this, you're at fault, you're at fault. Um, and trying to shift power and blame to self-protect to, um, you know, to throw another under the bus. And so whether it's male and female, whether it's husband and wife, um, that, that it was sort of the introduction of hierarchy, which also means it wasn't there in the beginning. Right. I know exactly. And Uh, amen. But yeah, it's kind of like, (laughs) and that's what I really wanted to look like. Okay. Well, what, what was it like in the beginning? Like, how is it Mm, supposed mm -hmm. to be? And you get this, you know, the creation narrative of, of Genesis 1 is just, it, it really stands apart from other ancient Mesopotamian creation narratives because yeah. in, this, in, in, in the Hebrew narrative, God um, portrays himself as a co-laborer with mankind, with humankind. And this is, this is, this is abnormal in that culture because mm-hmm. that, the cultures of ancient Mesopotamia saw work as a drudgery, yeah. as, you know, that the human yeah. race was um, kind of... Uh, cursed with this um, need to to work and to labor whereas god says no labor Mm -hmm. itself is good like let's plant a garden together let's enjoy the garden Mm -hmm. let's cultivate the garden together um 
what what you know the fall introduced was that the, it's not work that's cursed it's the ground of our labor that's cursed which just means that work's going to be frustrating from now on work where there is no such thing as a perfect job that you know is never going to mm. be boring that old adage like find a job yeah. you love and you'll never work a day in your life that's just not true. Like I've had like three jobs that I would consider my dream job and they're still hard. Sometimes Mm -hmm. they're still frustrating. And, (laughs) and, and, and mostly if I'm trying to find my meaning and identity in those vocations, it's going to always disappoint, Mm -hmm. disappoint you. Um, Yeah. And so I think, yeah, that, so that's kind of what I I try to address in this first section is what is it? How do we maybe how are we drawing our meaning and identity from these three kind of core components of life that the world kind of mm-hmm. sees as the benchmarks, get a job, get married, mm-hmm. have kids, and you're kind of making your way step by step through the phases of life, you know? And certainly I would say, you know, at least the Western world sees it mm-hmm. that way. And, you know, there's, there's cultures all over the place that are maybe more matriarchal or that, um, you know, are set up in different sort of original cultures or indigenous cultures that are set up differently. But that is certainly, I would guess, for a large majority of what the audience of this book is going to be, yeah. and certainly of this yeah. podcast, um, is is this idea that like, um, and like you said, whether or not you're married, whether or not you have children, mm-hmm. um, because I'll be frank, whenever I saw those chapters, I was like, oh, that makes this easy. I'll just skip those mm-hmm. two. And then I was like, no, I mean, do your research. <laughs> so I started reading and it was very clear. It's not that marriage has absolutely no bearing in my life. Mm-hmm. My parents' marriage is very important mm-hmm. to me. My brother and sister-in-law's marriage is marriage as a concept in terms of faithfulness and fidelity and um and I want for people who want it, I want that mm-hmm. for them. I want to celebrate that union. And um, and also, I constantly have to live with the expectation that I will be married someday right. or that I'm waiting for marriage. Um, and so, same thing with kids. And so, I loved, I just, I wanted to say, to sort of expound on that notion that you mentioned earlier um, about whether or not you're married, whether mm-hmm. or not you have kids. This is a prevalent part of our lives especially in the West. right that is the like that's kind of the message you have to live with is you know well marriage is how you graduate to the next phase of life or you know the, mm-hmm. the, the, i wrote a lot about how marriage um caitlin Beatty said it well she's like marriage is kind of seen as spiritual credentialing in the church it's like you know if you mm-hmm. once you get married you'll experience the sanctification that you can only experience and within marriage and it's yeah. like yeah this is this is not this has been this is like a uh, you know like post-victorian era value really and if you if you look at you know the medieval church they they saw singleness as the highest way to live they saw that as kind of the surest path to sanctity that marriage is almost like a necessary evil now i don't believe that either but it but it's like this Mm -hmm. is we've we've fluctuated and the 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 pendulum has swung back and forth on this Um, but anytime you try Mm -hmm. to say that a relationship or a relational relationship status will somehow achieve for you this perfect perfect to end or the spiritual credentialing as Caitlin Beatty says, then you've got a false yeah. understanding of it. And, and to me, like the, um, the, the, the putting up on a pedestal of marriage hurts married people because when suddenly your marriage is like 
kind of hard and not this, you know, path to spiritual fulfillment and emotional fulfillment, you think, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. the marriage has failed. I got to get out or we're a disaster. I'm a disaster. And then it hurts single people because it leaves you with this sense of like lack and well, I'm not reached. I've not reached this you know, I'm not ticked this box. Um, I've not Mm -hmm. checked this off the list. So I must not be, I must not have arrived spiritually, emotionally. It just hurts everyone. This elevation. I would also imagine it hurts women or people in toxic and abusive Mm -hmm. marriages that still see marriage as the highest ideal. And so they don't want to, you know, give up the fact that they have a a married name or a ring on their finger. They don't, want society to see them as having failed right and so they stay that people stay in abusive uh, relationships inversely yeah. yeah they they stay in abusive harmful relationships because it's like you can't mess you can't mess with this very specific understanding of uh, right. you know marital status and and so yeah i just think it's it's just something we have to talk about like it it was it, i was constantly bombarded with the idea that this was the expectation you will marry and mm-hmm. through that marriage mm-hmm. you will achieve a deeper sense of biblical womanhood that's how you'll live your biblical womanhood out same with parenting um motherhood and biblical womanhood are inextricably linked in this narrative which then of course and i write about this in chapter three was devastating when i struggled with infertility like who would i be if i couldn't be a mom could i be a biblical woman (laughs) If I couldn't yeah. be a mom. Can I just say a heavy emphasis on the air quotes around the word biblical? In this <laughs> yes, yes. If you're listening, <laughs> just yes. we'll, we'll do yeah. the picture of the air quotes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and that's, I mean, it's also, it is, I, this is going to resonate with everybody. The, the sort of corrective, the blessing, the redemptive aspect you include in that section is delight. Right. Um, and can you just sort of talk briefly about how delight can be yeah. redemptive in those three areas. I think it's because I think we have the, this expectation that the job's gonna, the job's got to be perfect, the marriage has got to be perfect, the kids have got to be perfect. It's like this this idea of um, of never enoughness. Like it, it, it has mm-hmm. to be more, it has to be better, and there's such a blessing to be found if we can just kind of take delight in what is instead of always hoping for you know what could be and and again this i I try to make enough caveats in this to say this is this is not me advocating for anyone to stay in a harmful relationship or a job that just we've all been in roles that are yeah abusive and just bad fits is it these are just sort of day-to-day yeah it's frustrations and challenges and difficulties because it feels like to me the the way that the serpent tempted eve most profoundly was not it it wasn't just like well do you trust god is god a liar it's like he tried to tempt her with this notion of lack like did god really tell you Mm -hmm. that you couldn't eat of all the trees in the garden and it's like oh my goodness god was like you got all you got basically every single one this is just the one you met stay away you know and but it was like that one that she couldn't have it it was not enough to have this just hundreds and hundreds of varieties of delight and beauty and and that's what we so often fixate on is the one thing that's not perfect Mm -hmm. and we let that define our happiness and so Mm -hmm. how do we how do we find delight in our stations in life even if they're different than we thought they would be and um and to me that's 
it's it's kind of a different way. It, it, it kind of takes um, the, the the gratitude trope <laughs> to a different level, mm-hmm. you know. And I get I, sometimes when people are like just have an attitude of gratitude, you know, just be grateful, make your gratefulness. But there's some Pollyanna, yeah, exactly. There's actually <laughs> yeah. something to say yeah. psychologically about you know how how thank yeah. gratefulness rewires our brains. But, but but I like to think of delight as like full immersion into mm-hmm. the, the the beauty and the goodness that is around you if you have the eyes to see it. Um, It's this um, embodied way of living to say, it's not just sitting there thinking Mm -hmm. in my mind, what am I grateful for? It's like, just go immerse yourself in the glory of your life and the beauty in your life that is to be found. And, and yes, we can, we can talk about the pain and be honest about the, about the the grief but beauty and and sadness go hand in hand and joy and sorrow live side by Mm -hmm. side and we've got to be able to pay attention to those things that are really beautiful in our lives that's that's so true and and i it's not you write about this and make it so clear what you're not suggesting is gaslighting Mm -hmm. yourself into believing that like you're not trying to say like cook up Mm -hmm. things to be grateful for in the you know look for silver Mm -hmm. linings that kind of um stuff it's uh it's the it's the fact that it is mm-hmm. there somewhere so if it's if you have no delight in any part of your mm-hmm. work maybe you do in your family somewhere maybe there's a little kid in your life who you get to hear belly laugh once in a while maybe you live in a place where you're a five minute drive from something beautiful yeah. maybe it rains a lot yeah. where you are and so sunshine is really you know great like there's um there's a way to be present to yes. delight and beauty that isn't cooking it up or gaslighting yes. yourself or or anything like that. And I really appreciated the way you wrote about it because it, it really did make it clear um, that it, it is an embodied yeah. thing. It is a being present to where you are yeah. right then and in, in the yep. day um, rather than sort of intellectualizing. That's right. Yeah. And I love how you say that. It is about being present in your life and not in the someday or the hoped for or the, oh, what could have been mm-hmm. or like we are all that, that is the, mm-hmm. the, the, t- or the good old days or the past. Either yeah. It's like, it's the, it's the yeah. tyranny of the imagination of what, it, what could have been, you know, or what should be or what ought to mm-hmm. be, yeah. which so often precludes you from being present and what actually is, you know? And, um, yeah. And so th- there's a way to kind of redeem that idea of like well just be grateful for what you have there's a way to me to kind of say um nope you you don't have to lie about what's hard but let's not off let's Mm -hmm. not also then forget what is good as well and that's Mm -hmm. kind of the task of being human i guess (laughs) but um part of it um in the second section um there's three the three chapters are calling Mm -hmm. community and uh our bodies Mm -hmm. And so I'd love to hear sort of same question. What, what is the sort of thread that ties these three um, domains together? Um, if there is one, and if not, um, you know, if you can maybe pick one of them to yeah. sort of talk about yeah. more, a little, like you did, like yeah. we did with marriage. Oh, authors could talk for years about how they structure their books and is it re- does the arc really make sense? But I, the, the, the thing that, that kind of to me was the similar thread in these things is it just really kind of gets to this core of identity, like who am I mm. and belonging and am I enough? This question of like, is there, mm. is, am I enough? Am I being enough? Am I, am I doing enough? And do I belong? Am I okay? You know, mm-hmm. am I good? And, and I, yeah, I think that when it comes to 
these are areas of our life where we want to be seen. You know, we want to be be seen by the people around us and belong. We want to be seen as having importance of doing things that are important. We want to be seen as beautiful or able or strong or all of those things. And and so kind of the blessing that I put at the end of this section is this blessing of humility. It's like, what is the gift of humility? It's not thinking less of yourself. It might just be thinking less of yourself, if that makes sense. Like n- maybe not thinking quite so much about yourself. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so, oh, you know what I mean? In, qua- in quantity. Not, not, not quantity. Exactly. Is that like this I, I kind of you. self-obsession okay. and this preoccupation we have with you know, mm-hmm. our, what we're achieving for God and who likes us and if we're enough mm-hmm. and if, if we're doing enough, is there a way mm-hmm. to maybe quiet that voice a little bit? And can humility do that? Can mm-hmm. this call to think of others um, m- more than yourself? I don't think that that, that when, when um, I think it's Paul that asked us to do that, um, that, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's not about saying that other people are of more value than you. I think it's just saying, let's think of others as much or more than, than you're preoccupied with yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And yeah, so I think there's this, uh, I, I thought a lot about um, the North Carolina state seal when I was writing this book, I'm going somewhere with this. Um, it, the, the North okay. Carolina state seal has the Latin phrase, essay quam videre on it, which means um, to be rather than to seem. And I just really love this idea huh. of like, gosh, we, what if we weren't so preoccupied with how we appear to people and how we mm. seem to God how we perform yeah. for others, and we're more preoccupied with just who are we, who am I at the very core, mm-hmm. um, and that's and I think humility enables us to do that because pride is pride yeah. is the thing that cares a lot about how we're coming across and how we're being perceived, whereas humility is the thing mm-hmm. that says God is enough. He has said I am I am enough. I am loved. I am beloved. I belong, and if we could just rest mm-hmm. in that truth then these different areas of our life, I think, would be quiet. The, the anxiety around them would be quieted. Yeah. And I, I think um, in each of these things, at least for me, it, reading about humility, like there's an aspect of, of which these, these things, you know, uh, create uh, calling community mm-hmm. and bodies, um, apply to how we think about mm-hmm. those things for mm-hmm. ourselves, the community this, that we fall within our church um, or our spheres of influence mm-hmm. or whatever um, our, like you said, being used mm-hmm. by God for whatever and how our bodies are perceived and received and reacted to throughout the mm-hmm. world. Um, but also how that impacts yeah. us. However, humility can shift each one of those things and say, how do I engage others to make sure that their belonging is not in any way in jeopardy with me based on their calling, their community, you know, how they, you know, whether or not they go to church, whether or not they're Christians, Mm -hmm. whether or not they are um, whatever, and and their bodies, their skin color, their um, gender identity or gender expression, sexuality, their, um, the size of their bodies, the shape of their bodies, whatever it is. um, That to me was like, I, there was a, a minute where I was like, uh, because so many people have experienced humiliation mm-hmm. in those three yeah. categories. Yep. That I was like, oh, I don't know if I like 
I started to feel like an eye yep. coming on about humility. <laughs> yep, <laughs> you know yep. what I mean? And, and so it just in all honesty, and, but then I sort of, the more I was turning the idea over in my head, the more I was like, Oh, like there, it is important for how those things impact mm-hmm. me, but it is also incredibly important that I create safe environments or uh, safe relationships with people in my life that their belonging, that their uh, worth, mm-hmm. that if they ask themselves, "Am I? Do I fit here? Am I good enough? Do I belong?" That that question is never. Um, have to be debated yeah. over to them, at least in terms of me and what I can yeah. control around them. Yeah, because that to me is like what that the core of humility is again that equal that equal proportion or equal measure, equal balance of like the worth of others and the worth of yourself. And and so mm-hmm. being able not not being so preoccupied with yourself that you're not able to pay attention to the people in the margins, pay attention to the people mm-hmm. who've been told they don't belong. And I think that the lie underneath all mm-hmm. of those things is you know, if you, if you can have a certain platform, you'll be happy. If you have a certain sense mm-hmm. of sameness within your community, I'll tell you that the chapter I struggled with most in the writing of the book was the one about community. And I rewrote that chapter like mm-hmm. 6 million times because there's so many angles you can take on it. But it, it's this, but, yeah. but I realized, okay, think about what the, the Christian subculture post about when they do like hashtag blessed. And it's, it's this mm-hmm. like, oh, I found my tribe, I found my squad, I found my people, I found my, but uh, yeah, that feels really good. And, and we should all have friends that we can really, you know, kind of um, relate mm-hmm. to in a way that's comfortable. But how often is that act the exclusion of people who are different from us, exclusion of us ideologically, socioeconomically, yeah. racially, whatever the case may be, like, we, we then say, well, those are other people, I can be nice to them, but they don't really belong in my actual community. And and so we create right. these Christian subcultures of people who think just like us and can deliver goods mm-hmm. for us to consume in the form of Christian media and books yeah. and movies and music, because we just want to feel like we are a little tribe mm-hmm. of people who understand each other and get each other. And, and, and also that's all well and good until the underlying core identity doesn't apply to you yeah. anymore until you're no longer an evangelical or you're no longer a member at that church or you leave that home group or you're, yes. um, you are, you are queer. You're not straight anymore or you're, I mean, not anymore, but you've come out as queer. Yeah. That, that's become <laughs> um, something that you realize as part. Yeah, exactly. And so what does that mean the, for your belonging? That the underlying identity in that community was what was tethering you guys yeah. together was what made you feel like, Oh, we're just, we're unstoppable. All this media we're consuming. It's for us when you're not the us mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and so human, what that all is. Yeah. Shaking. What humility, the, the gift of humility. And to me, the, the, the more sturdy form of happiness that comes from humility mm-hmm. is, is the thing that says hey i i might be wrong about this and that's okay or i i'm mm-hmm. not, i don't get everything right like i i might be thinking wrongly about this so let me listen to someone else's view and mm-hmm. someone else's opinion and be willing to believe that they have something to say that i need to hear and so this yeah. just opens up worlds of possibilities in terms of the ability to relate to other people the ability to to find belonging and meaning and community with other groups of people and so that yeah that's mm-hmm. where i feel like the world tells you that platforms will make you happy and importance will make you happy and mm-hmm belonging in that more shallow kind of uniformity sense will make you happy. A perfect body, you know, um, kind of this uh, 
I mean, it's ableism, but you know, like this idea that mm-hmm. like you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And, and <laughs> that's where happiness is. Whereas humility kind of says it's, it's not about platforms it, that that's not, that's not yeah. what makes me happy. It's, it's a, it's an understanding that I am enough because God has said it because I'm, because I belong to God mm-hmm. and, and, and so does everyone else yeah. around me. And, um, and I don't, so, mm-hmm. so then it, it, there's, that's the life of rest because then you're not always trying to chase after that platform, chase after that importance, chase that, but chase that belonging, chase those abilities, yeah. chase that strength. Humility is like, I'm tired and it's cool. It's okay. Or I can't mm-hmm. do that. And that's okay. Or I yeah. failed at that. And that's okay. Or, you know, those, those this, this kind of kingdom I've built for myself of people who are the same as me, that's crumbling. That's okay. Because my, my identity is already sealed, you know? And that, so that, that mm-hmm. to me is the mm-hmm. more kind of st- structurally sound happiness that can come with humility. So good. Um, in the last section, there are the three chapters are sanctuary or in parentheses you put church suffering and sanctification mm-hmm. um <laughs> in my notes i just have to say this because it's funny in my notes i was dictating mm-hmm. like my, the questions i was yeah. going to ask you and i put and then hope um which is the last sort of blessing mm-hmm. and it dictated it as and then no hope. no <laughs> Like, oh, why? phone, why must you be it's so nihilistic? Demonic, why must you be nihilistic? Yeah. Phone, um, <laughs> voice, Siri, cheer voice up. to text. Um, um, yes, yeah. So, this is a section where to me gets a little bit more, um, the waters get treacherous because it's these kind of underlying assumptions we have that right theology, right belief participation mm-hmm. in church and mm-hmm. fellowship with other believers is going to make life better for us. And again, this is hard because yeah. it is, it is good to believe the right things about God and about the world and about yourself. Yeah. That's to me, that's the definition mm-hmm. of sound theology. It's good to believe the right things, believe sure. it's true. It's good to mm-hmm. Um, fellowship with other believers. I think it's good to participate in, in, you know, communal religious spaces. I think that's good. I think that's healthy. Mm -hmm. And actually studies show that that Mm -hmm. leads to better mental health outcomes when you participate Mm -hmm. in, in communal faith. Um, But we cannot believe the lie that it always safeguards us from every difficult feeling and every difficult emotion. And sometimes those church cultures that we, um, that we're part of, they do damage to us. Um, and we, we've got yeah. to be honest about that, that this these houses of worship that can be so life-giving and so beautiful can also be harmful. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, I write about suffering and it's this idea that you're always, you, you're always just going to find this, this, this silver lining and this redemptive story arc in your pain. And I just don't yeah. think we do. I think sometimes we don't. I think sometimes we don't know why the bad thing happened. I think sometimes we don't mm-hmm. know. We go very, very long stretches of time in our life thinking God might not be good and thinking God's not with us. Mm-hmm. And and that's normal. I, I want us to normalize that experience within within the church. Yeah. And, and, and when I write about sanctification, I – I write in the book about how I don't, I can't remember exactly where it was, but it was like, I was at a church. 
like Sunday school or college Bible class and it showed like progressive sanctification and it was like this square chart mm-hmm. and like my sanctification yeah. was like a line going from the bottom left up to the top right hand corner of the graph it's like this mm-hmm. steady increase in my holiness and sanctification as i grew in my relationship with the mm-hmm. lord and it's like well how do you explain yeah i use a good old southern baptist term backsliding <laughs> like, <laughs> what, what i mean by that is like how do i explain like that i still struggle with doubt i struggle with sin i'm mean to people i'm cruel to people yeah. so Sometimes I'm preoccupied yeah. with myself sometimes. And sometimes I just have questions. Mm. Sometimes, you know, not, not a character flaw. I just, I, I, I'm not sure this is real. I'm not sure yeah. I believe this anymore. And I thought I was supposed to be progressing yeah. in my belief, growing in my understanding. And I'm just trying to make the case mm-hmm. that like the Christian life is such a journey. And there are, when we say valleys, we're not talking about, you know, nice little, you know, detours. It's like long, hard, dark, (laughs) shadowy, (laughs) cold, desolate valleys that can go on for years. And that's normal. Let's just normalize that experience Mm -hmm. a little bit. And also just taking a higher, a higher view of them. For example, you know, uh, in, in my previous like sort of mega church environment that was one of the first places after seven years what i where i first uh, because of a like an inventory thing i was doing in the recovery program um where i first uh i guess connected that what had happened to me was mm-hmm. rape. i'll give the content sure. warning here and and it had been dormant mm-hmm. or suppressed mm-hmm. in me for seven yep. years uh, i had also lost my sister the year yeah. before and was getting clean in an addiction program. <laughs> okay. So a lot so happening. Yeah. I, a lot was going on and I had just left the church of Christ. So my family all thought I was going to hell. And this one thing that we had tethering each us to each other was now yeah. gone. Okay. But, and so if you look at those first couple of years, it seems like it's real dark. Yeah. It seems like it's like full of me just crying in church all mm-hmm. the time. And if people saw me, they would think, Oh, she's not, doing well mm-hmm. or her sanctification isn't continuing to go up but i but a higher view of that would say those things were necessary to get to keep going yeah. um to to heal yeah. to recover and to um to unearth some of the piss poor theology mm-hmm. i held yeah. and to realize like boy there's nothing that'll help you realize morality is uh does not satisfy mm-hmm. than than the dark night yeah. of soul <laughs> boys right. morality right. not enough and so yeah. <laughs> um so i just you know so if you take a higher view of that you say you say no that is if you if you're somebody who believes in progressive sanctification mm-hmm. that is still progression mm-hmm. regardless of what it looks like in the moment yep. uh, another thing i really love is that lutherans have this idea of um simul justus et peccator which means simultaneously mm-hmm. sinners and saints 100 uh. percent sinner 100 percent saint at all times there isn't this like 80 percent progressive sanctified 20 yes. percent left of you that's not look at us throw it's 100 percent of both at all times look at us throwing out the latin, latin. phrases in this podcast <laughs> two latins today yeah um, um but that's such a beautiful like that that is so true and that it, it's like this both and of life it's like like either you're growing mm-hmm. in your relationship and with Christ or you're backsliding and it's one or the other. And it's like, yeah, maybe I actually feel like sometimes those years, those months where I felt God's absence is where I became most acquainted with his presence. Because it's like when you, when, mm. you know, you, you, 
you never know how much you love water until you go a day without it and you're thirsty. And it's like, yeah. there's, there's actually, there's good. That hasn't happened. To yeah. Me. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in some, I've, I've gone years without it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know, you know what I mean? It's like this idea. It's like, I know it's like this mean. kind yeah. of proof. It's almost an apologetic in a, in, a, in some senses, like this, mm-hmm. this longing is actually maybe some indication that there's something there that we really need, you know? And, and so I, mm-hmm. yeah, I think, it's just being patient with yourself on the journey, I think. And you're absolutely, yeah. I love what you said about th- those dark, that those very difficult season that you walked through with all those things hitting you one after the other and how mm-hmm. emotionally difficult that was for you. That that was the thing that needed to kind of undo the, the, the tangle of yeah. lies or the, the tangle of, of false beliefs that, that you had that is a painful process it's a it's like home renovation mm-hmm. it's like you got to tear down some walls first before you can build them back to be beautiful and or if i mean it feels like surgery yeah like if anybody cuts you open in the mm-hmm. street you feel like you're just getting yeah. cut open surgery has a healing aspect yeah. to it but it's Still you getting yep. cut open. You got to do some. You got to create a wound in some ways yeah. before you can can do the yeah. healing. And so I, I think that's yeah. that's a beautiful way to put it. Is like seeing it all as part of God's way of maybe drawing us near. Um, and I, I think mm-hmm. that that yeah, I just think and that's again kind of goes back. Yeah, like I said, I didn't have a thesis, but maybe kind of the point of the book is to say if you pay attention, if you allow space for these hard feelings if you say there's something holy there's some Mm -hmm. purpose there's some set apart purpose for this feeling then you can learn what the what it is that the experience has to teach you so really quick talk to us about hope in that section i I don't want to i know we're almost out of time but if can you can you just talk about hope as the corrective well uh, i think hope people think of it as like optimism or you know just staying positive i hate it I hate the idea of hope so much. It's complicated. So I'll tell you. I, I think hope to me is a lot like faith because what hope does is that it, it only exists in the darkness. It only exists when things are really, really tough. Hope mm. is this this kind of it has this tenacity, this deep belief that there are a few core things that are true. That whether that's the, the mm-hmm. goodness of God, the redemption of the world, um, our belonging that that we have in God. These things are true when they don't seem true at all and so it's it and to me optimism is like this thing where we kind of tell ourselves like sticky sweet lies to just stay positive whereas hope names a really hard thing in the dark it only hope only exists when you feel hopeless if that makes sense and and the same with faith like faith to me i I think it's is it um oh is it a quote Daniel, is it Daniel Taylor who says, um, where there is doubt, faith has its reason for being. If it weren't for Mm. doubt, faith wouldn't have to be. And so it's, it's, it's this, Mm. if it weren't for pain and difficulty and bleakness and then hope Mm. wouldn't need to exist but it is because it is precisely because we struggle it is precisely because the world is a hard place to be and it's hard to be human it is precisely because of that that hope Mm -hmm. exists and so it's yeah it to me hope is not yeah it's not optimism it's not um sticky sweet positivity it's naming what's true Mm -hmm. the good and the bad and clinging to that in the midst of that that difficult storm i like how you said it it may just be a few Mm -hmm. things um because i think what your hope is Mm -hmm. in 
um, really matters. <clears throat> the section in Romans where Paul says, and hope does not put us to mm-hmm. shame. I just, every time I read that, I'm like, BS. Yeah. Yes, it does. I've, or at least the thing, yeah. you know, even if I'm hoping in justice, mm-hmm. sometimes, and it feels like justice is delayed and God is just not doing yeah. anything. Or if I'm hoping in, um, in like, uh, healing for something or, you know, whatever, but that like narrowing it down to, like you said, like, the redemption of, you know, the resurrection and redemption of all things eventually, yeah. um, or, you know, the, that God is love yep. or that, you know, that we are loved by God. Um, I, I think about how every time there's a mass shooting, this thing in me that just goes, this roar, right. That mm-hmm. feels mm-hmm. hopeless. Yep. It feels so hopeless, except that the only thing I can do, yep. I mean, I vote, I, I scream, mm-hmm. I wail, I, you know, want to do all those things. But in those very first moments, when mm-hmm. you first find out about it again, the only thing I can do is, yeah. pray, is just say, God, even if I'm saying how long, even if I'm cussing at God, even if I'm um, raging at God, the only thing I, I can do is know that you will hear yep. me. Yep. I don't know what you're doing with it, but you I know yep. you'll hear me. I, I do have hope in that. Right. Case. And I, I actually don't think that I would believe the Bible were it not for the laments that I see there in scripture. The mm-hmm. lament is the thing that makes me believe yeah. in the viability <laughs> of of this faith. Because it's like it, <laughs> it so makes true. it makes space for those feelings in the midst of hope and like i thought maybe i could just read that one little paragraph that i say about hope about those that those those few core trees hope is a habit a way of living it is more than simply believing in in your head that everything is okay it is the act it is acting as if these heirlooms of truth handed down by generations of christians who have come before us are indeed true and what exactly is this hope Good will overcome evil. Love will overcome hate. Joy will overcome suffering in the end. Sin has not forever destroyed our relationship with God and one another. We have been restored. These things are true. I hope these things are true. Mm-hmm. And these are the things that we That's cling good. to. These core, it's kind of like theological minimalism. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. these core yeah. things that we hold on to. And but but as we hold on to them in the rough seas of human existence, we have the songs of lament to carry us there because mm-hmm. it's hard. It's hard mm-hmm. sometimes to believe that they're true. But if it wasn't hard to believe, we wouldn't need to have hope. We could just have optimism, you know. Okay. <laughs> that was my conversation with Amanda Held Opelt. Ugh, I just adore her and I loved that conversation so much. Um, my thanks again to Amanda for joining me for this episode. You can find her and all about this book, Holy Unhappiness, um, on her Twitter and Instagram and threads at Amanda Held Opelt or on her website at AmandaHeldOpelt.com. I will link to these in the show notes as well. Join me next week as we continue to make space for honor and name what matters. And now, according to our tradition, as we close out, I offer you this short benediction from John O'Donohue's book to bless the space between us called For Waking. Let's pray. I give thanks for arriving safely in a new dawn, for the gift of eyes to see the world, 
the gift of mind to feel at home in my life. The waves of possibility breaking on the shore of dawn, the harvest of the past that awaits my hunger, and all the furtherings this new day will bring. Amen. Amen.